If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. I had never put on a headset before. I just thought, you know what, I bet virtual reality is something that would work. If things could go to plan, I have a vision of us having regional training centers with virtual reality that any NGO, any non-governmental organization could access. How might virtual reality facilitate humanitarian efforts around the world? That's a question which Elena Chopyak and her team at New York-based nonprofit International Rescue Committee are currently exploring. Elena, who is IRC's Emergency Accountability Coordinator, is presently in the early implementation stages of a pilot project that would use VR in various applications. And IRC, which originally began with a suggestion from Albert Einstein in 1933, today continues its work of nearly nine decades of helping people in the world's worst crisis situations. Elena, how did you first come to realize that humanitarian work was what you really wanted to do with your life? Oh, wow. I think for me, this started, I think the earliest that I can trace it back to is a documentary series that aired on HBO, I think in the early 2000s, about the global AIDS epidemic. And for some reason, that really struck a chord with me. And at this point in time, I was in high school. And so it just, it just kind of inspired me to think about public health and thinking about disease eradication. And I think that's kind of where where my passion for this started. And then as I kind of went along this journey, I went to think I was going to become a doctor. And then I ended up getting a degree in public health. And then I knew that this was kind of the direction that I wanted to go. And I always wanted to spend time outside of the U.S. And that's, I guess that's kind of the, the general starting point for this kind of work. Your LinkedIn says that you taught English in Turkey. You were a Fulbright Research Scholar in Morocco, and you worked in Iraq with the International Rescue Committee. Now, I did not know, until preparing for this interview, and shame on me for not, I didn't know this was founded by Albert Einstein. Right. Yeah, yeah. We've, this organization has been around for quite some time. How did you first become aware of the work of the IRC? At that point in time, I had already been familiar with the IRC. I had been working in development for another organization. And the IRC within the development humanitarian sphere is quite well known and has a good reputation. And so for me, it's something that I had always wanted to do. And at that point in time, I was getting a little bit fatigued with development work and wanted to kind of refocus to humanitarian work. And so the IRC is one of the major players in this sector. And so I always had my sights on the IRC. What an interesting combination. We have a venerable organization that has been improving life for people for decades and cutting-edge technology, XR and VR, in which you have an exciting new pilot program. How did those come on your radar as a tool for accomplishing humanitarian goals? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And this kind of goes back probably now it's been a little bit over a year that I had been thinking about using XR and VR to support the work that I do. So one of the things that I did before COVID, I traveled a good amount for my particular role within the IRC. Some of it was for actually responding to emergencies and the other travel was for 
doing training and capacity building for colleagues around the world. And so for a while, I was being flung all over the world for three to four to five day trainings. And so I would spend as much time in an airport, in the plane, as I actually would in a conference room. And I think I kind of reached a breaking point where I think I probably spent more time in planes and airports than I actually did for a training that I did in northern Nigeria in my degree. And at that point, I just thought there has to be a better way for us to be delivering trainings to my colleagues all over the world, a way that's more environmentally friendly, that's more cost effective for the organization. And I had never put on a headset before. I just thought, you know what, I bet virtual reality is something that would work. And so it really just started from there, I think, from the fatigue of flying. And then also, you know, we are a large international NGO, but we still have resource constraints. And so taking that into consideration as well. What happened next with creating your pilot program? So I had proposed this idea of virtual reality, again, without ever putting on a headset to a number of people that I worked with. And I think the reaction was kind of amused to being disinterested or not really understanding what I was proposing. And so it was kind of a serendipitous combination in March of this year with having a new supervisor who's really interested in tech and in innovation and then also having, I guess, more travel restrictions, not related to resources, but related to COVID-19, that I think that there has been a greater interest in finding new ways to actually be delivering the training that we need to be doing if we can't travel. And for us, you know, a Teams training, a Zoom training, e-learning, it's just not quite cutting it. And so from there, I put forward a basic proposal to my supervisor, again, not having put on a headset before, and he said, you know what, this sounds good, let's buy some headsets. And so basically just took myself to Walmart, purchased a few headsets, sent them to a couple of colleagues, and then we started going into VR together, exploring different applications. First, it was just exploring different remote working applications like Meet in VR, Glue. We explored Roomy and Engage. And then we, from there, moved into exploring different simulations. So we tried a COVID simulation. We've tried DEI simulations and trainings and just trying to get an understanding of what would work for us and what doesn't work for us. Which of those applications did you find worked the very best for you? I think that's a hard question to answer in the sense that I could see a lot of practical applications for the remote working spaces in terms of just having much more engaging meetings, workshops, potentially having difficult conversations in these spaces. I think for us, really thinking about the, the different applications that support our work and thinking about ways that they could be adapted. So we were thinking about the COVID simulation and how that could help our teams learn from a distance, you know, how to set up a triage, how to set up isolation, how to evaluate a patient. You know, when we've had teams that we're supporting teams in Yemen from, from a distance and trying to explain to them how to do this. And so I think for us, it's more of the technical training that we're really interested in implementing. What have been some of the obstacles? Your LinkedIn says that when you're confronted with challenges, you tend to do your best work. With this program, what have been some of the obstacles that have brought out work that you've been really proud of? I think with this particular program, we've been thinking about the obstacles of bandwidth. And we, IRC has a presence in over 40 countries worldwide. And so, you know, there's a, a wide range of diversity 
within each country office in terms of bandwidth and in terms of many other factors in terms of their needs of training. And so in thinking about bandwidth, that is something that we've been really concerned about. But I think one thing that we've thought about is finding applications that could be loaded in advance and that wouldn't need to work with Wi-Fi is one of the challenges that we've been thinking about. And another one is just thinking about resource constraints. Again, it's thinking about, you know, how many headsets would we need for one country office? How would we disinfect them? And I think we've come to the realization that most likely one country office could function quite well with a small number of headsets that then get rotated and shared throughout the country office. When I hear anybody talk about headsets, the first thing I think of is, wow, one obstacle a lot of times is cost. How do you get around that as a nonprofit? And so that is also another obstacle for us right now. And so we're looking at starting with a very small pilot just to get a better understanding of what works well, what doesn't work well, what would need to be tweaked. And so from there, if we can show metrics or any kind of measurable results from a very small pilot, we're hoping then to be able to look for funding from external external sources that might be interested in this intersection between humanitarian work and technology. And then the other thing that we've been thinking about is trying to collaborate with other NGOs that are also interested in using virtual reality. So if we did, for example, want to design an application or a simulation that is specific to our industry, if this is something that multiple NGOs could use, could benefit from, that there could be a cost-sharing element to that. NGOs? What does that mean, please? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a non-governmental organization. Got it. Sorry, I hadn't heard that term before. What is your timeline right now? You talk about implementing the pilot program. Where are you versus where do you want to be in the future? So right now we are in a position where we are trying to pitch this to senior management within the International Rescue Committee to get essentially their blessing and some internal funds to move forward. And so we're really hoping that by the end of this year or the beginning of next year, we'll be able to start this small pilot in a country office that's interested in participating. And then from there, be able to gain these measurable results and hopefully use that to garner more interest among external funders. Let's experience this in our imagination. I put the headset on. I'm going to experience your training. What do I see? What do I do? So I think maybe we can talk about the COVID simulation. So in this case, you put on the headset and you're transported to a tent. First, you're outside of the tent. And so you have a very basic shelf where you have to open this. You have controllers, but you're able to, you know, when you look at them in your headset, it looks like hands. And so you have to put on your personal protective equipment, meaning gloves, meaning a visor, meaning goggles. And when you have all of that done, then you step inside this tent and you see a patient. And so you have this patient's vital signs. You have different instruments like a blood pressure cuff, a nose swab, a pulse ox. And then you have to decide what order you're going to be doing these different procedures with the patient. And then at the end of it, you have to make a decision and While you're going through this process, you're talking to this avatar and demonstrating to a moderator your bedside manner, how you're going to be asking probing questions, the order of operations that you're going through. Wow. This is an impressive program. What's your vision? Let's say that this takes off, management says, sure, they give you the funding. Where would you like this to go in, let's say, a year from now and maybe five years from now? Oh, gosh. I think 
I'll start maybe with five years from now in terms of the blue sky vision. If things could go to plan, I have a vision of us, whether it's IRC or humanitarian collective, having regional training centers with virtual reality that any NGO, any non-governmental organization could access. So, for example, maybe in East Africa, in Nairobi, in Kenya, there would be a virtual reality center where anyone from a non-governmental organization could go and be trained on different technical trainings, whether it's related to water and sanitation, to health, to different management training, safety and security. And then you would have, like, very culturally contextualized trainings for that region. And then we would go maybe to the Middle East region and have different trainings in their training hub. And so for me, really thinking about the language issues, different cultural contexts, and making this, I guess, accessible not just to IRC, but to local non-governmental organizations as well as international governmental organizations. And then in terms of the one-year vision, I think I would like to see the IRC roll this out to multiple country programs in different regions to get a better understanding of the needs and the different challenges in different areas. So again, East Africa versus the Middle East versus West Africa, what are the different experiences that our colleagues are having across the world? And then I think within the year, I would also like to see the IRC develop its own content, again, in collaboration with other humanitarian actors. What if somebody listening is someone who works in XR or is someone who has time to volunteer? Are you in need of anything of that nature at this point? I think that, I mean, anybody who's listening and who's interested and has skills and time to volunteer, I think would be very much welcome. I think in terms of technical skills, helping with any kind of development of content development or I guess planning content development would be really helpful. And I think, to be honest, you know, we're very new to this sector, to XR. And so anyone who's interested and has skills to offer or any kind of input on how to approach funders would be very much welcome. How do they get in touch with you if they would like to ask more about this? Sure. So they can reach me at my email address at elena.chopyak.rescue.org, or they can reach me on Twitter it's at E-C-H-O-P-Y-A-K. Elena.chopyak at rescue.org. And we have your Twitter account here. I would love to read a quote here from your LinkedIn profile and have you comment on this. Your LinkedIn profile says, The intersection between evidence, creativity, and empathy is a sweet spot for success for all. What's been one favorite sweet spot that you've experienced since you started with this pilot program? I think for me... That has to be, I've done some exploration with VR applications that are not necessarily educational, but more for entertainment. And I think one of the favorite things that I've I've experienced was an escape room in VR that I participated in with strangers who I met on Twitter. And so, you know, it really took me out of my apartment for an hour and made me really feel connected to these three other strangers I had just met. And I don't really, I can't imagine ever volunteering to do an escape room with strangers in real life. And so I think, you know, the elements of creativity of that escape room, as well as that kind of embodiment and familiarity that it created with three people I didn't know was something that I never expected. But I also think really showcases the power of VR experiences like this sound like they gave you hope, sound like they were very refreshing and took you away from everything that's crazy right now. 
Absolutely. What if somebody is in your position where they want to implement something new in VR and XR in their community? Education comes to mind first, a teacher perhaps trying to reach students in an underprivileged area. What would be some resources you might suggest? What would be some advice you might give that teacher? I think maybe to start with advice, when I had first started this journey, I had this concept of what could be done in VR without ever having put on a headset. And so I think I actually had some unrealistic expectations of what can be done with this technology at this point. And so I didn't really fully understand how hot a headset can get, how heavy it can feel, and kind of the time constraints that you have when you self-impose constraints when you are in VR. And so I think I originally thought, again, without having tried a headset on, that I just assumed it could be a one-to-one replacement for regular in-person workshops. And so I think if someone who's interested in this technology has access to a headset, whether it's through a friend or through a university, or if they're able to purchase one on their own, I think there's really a lot of value in getting into a headset just to experience what is capable in VR. It's so difficult to be able to explain to someone what it feels like to be in VR without actually having tried it. So I would say that's kind of the number one thing. And then I think in terms of finding more information, I started out my journey, again, really not knowing anything and not being very connected to this community. So I started with Twitter. I just Googled some of the top VR influencers and I think thought leaders and doers in this industry and started following people in VR and started getting connected to different mailing lists. And I think it slowly snowballs into, you know, going into, there's so many virtual events that are happening right now. So you can go into some of these virtual spaces like Altspace VR, where there's a ton of free events. And then there are lots of virtual events right now that are happening that are free. And I think that's just been so helpful for me to better understand this industry. And I would have to say what I have found as someone who's not a tech person, and again, who's very new to this industry, it just seems that people are very open and welcoming and just really want to have and see this technology move forward. And that is key because a lot of people listening right now are not necessarily tech people. I'm not a tech person. I was a little sorry to find out that Altspace VR is not really that supported by a Mac. Are there other resources that you like that might be supported by a Mac for anybody that has one? So that's a good question. I've been working off of a PC, but I do have colleagues who are in my particular group, my small pilot group, who are working off of PCs. And I know that there have been, there's a platform called Verbella, and there was a conference in there, and I believe that it was accessible through a Mac. I believe the platform Engage, which is an educational platform and that also hosts a good number of free and very interesting events, I believe that's also accessible from a Mac, but I'm not sure. Possibilities to check out. Would there be any particular groups that you would recommend to anybody who's looking to get involved as you were when you first started? Doesn't quite know where to go. I guess I would say, again, to just look for people who are prolific on Twitter, who are putting forth or retweeting a lot of information. And again, I think there's a good amount of cross-posting in different platforms, but I would also take a look at Altspace VR and just to attend as many speakers and events as possible. The other thing we haven't really talked about all that much yet is XR, mixed reality. What's your vision for XR in a program like this one? I think, so that's a really interesting question. And I think when I first started my self-education journey, 
I had originally thought that we would be investigating AR a little bit more than we are now, but I think in terms of the cost, in terms of looking at how this works with a headset, I think right now it's probably prohibitively expensive for us. But in terms of AR that can be used through a tablet and through a phone, I think to be honest, it's not something that we have explored a whole lot, but it's definitely something of interest. And I think mostly because it would eliminate the need, first of all, to purchase additional equipment, but I can't say that we've explored it a whole lot. Something else that I may need to check with you on in the future. Elena, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference from your humanitarian work, from the pilot program you're doing right now, or anything else in which you're involved, what would you like them to take away from you? I think my takeaway would be if you have an idea and if you truly believe in it, even if the first few people that you share it with are naysayers or don't understand, I would say you should continue to move forward and try and find somebody who can be an advocate. Again, this is what happened to me, that a number of people, I think, probably just didn't understand the application of VR. They've never experienced VR themselves. And so to not let yourself be deterred by that, because once you find somebody who's going to advocate, who's going to be an ally for your innovation exploration, then you really can take off from there. But don't let a few no's stop you. Elena, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. This was great. You and I have been listening to Elena Chopyak, Emergency Accountability Coordinator at Nonprofit International Rescue Committee. As Elena mentioned, if you'd like to get involved and find out more about IRC's new virtual reality pilot program, you can contact her at elena.chopyak at rescue.org. That's elena.chopyak at rescue.org. She spells her last name C-H-O-P-Y-A-K. You can also follow her on Twitter at eChopyak. And take a look at what International Rescue Committee is doing around the world, including, but not limited to, empowering women and girls in Ethiopia and bringing educational programs to millions of refugee children in the Middle East. You'll find more information on their programs and how you can get involved at rescue.org. That's rescue.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us, twomavericks, at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.